Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Looking for the buck is Parker. Couldn't play a stop by Cook for a long shot. He scores! Colorado wins the Stanley Cup! Colorado wins! Ewing Group! At Hello, Avalanche fans. Thank you so much for tuning in to At Elevation, a podcast brought to you by Mile High Hockey. My name is Adrian Hernandez. It is... Awesome that you folks took the time to listen to this. I know there's not much else to do these days. Um, That being said, I think I'd like to use my platform real quick just to say uh, if you folks are out in the community, make sure you're wearing masks, uh, make sure you're washing your hands. Um, Even if you think you're not at risk, just do it for those uh, that may not be taking those precautions themselves just to kind of look out for your fellow man and woman. I think that's just the right thing to do. Uh, now that that's out of the way, we can talk a little bit about hockey. Um, these days, the topic is a little bit taboo um, around my household anyway, because I'm very, very disappointed. Um, obviously, there are things that are bigger than hockey going on right now, but I'm sure you Avalanche fans can relate and understand when I say this was promising to be one of the better years for Uh, the Colorado Avalanche, and one of the better seasons to be a Colorado Avalanche fan. We haven't technically fully missed out yet, but there was definitely an experience to be had that will not be had, and I'll I'll be surprised if it doesn't at least affect next season in a way that we can't really forget and just move on. Um, who knows when next season will start? Who knows when all this this stuff will clear? But uh, as I kind of sat down to do this podcast and, and do my notes, I was kind of wondering what, what the heck I could do, given the fact that we aren't really getting any source material right now from the NHL. Uh, I decided that I would kind of shed some light on what has made me become such a, a, a big and avid Colorado Avalanche fan. I'm going to kind of talk about my favorite Avalanche moments, uh, my top three, that is. And I am going to share with you a little bit of history on this day in 1996. The Avalanche beat the Red Wings 3-2 to two in game one of the Western Conference Final. And I'm sure you're aware they'd eventually win the series and eventually they win the cup. I'm going to show you some highlights. We'll walk through that game. It's a pretty it was a pretty entertaining game. And then I'm also going to talk about uh, who's our rival now. I, 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 for one, think that it was looking like St. Louis is lining up to be the Avalanche new great rivalry. Uh, we may or may not have been robbed of that 
given the way the season was going to end, it kind of looked like maybe the Avs and the Blues would be playing for the Central Division title in Game 82, which would have been an absolutely massively entertaining contest. So we kind of don't we don't get to have that. I think that would have fueled the fire a little bit. And uh, if the playoffs do happen, I still think there's potential for that rivalry to grow. Uh, but not anywhere near what it would have had had the season kind of go gone on. But I'll get a little bit more into that towards the end of the podcast. So first of all, uh, let's talk about my top three avalanche moments. The first one being a fateful night in Denver, Colorado, when Gabriel Landeskog netted an empty netter to catapult the avalanche into the playoffs after having one of the worst seasons ever, well, the worst season ever in Avalanche history, the Avalanche are able to bounce back the next season and get themselves into the wild card spot. A chance for the empty netter. Got it! He got it! He got it! The captain game plan is going tackled by his teammates. They know. With a 4 1 lead, they're this close to going back to the playoffs. The captain has been the leader. Was that something on that bench? I just turned towards the bench, and there was a pack of, what, 15 guys in a space of about two feet on the bench. Peter, do they love and admire Gabe Landeskog? Oh, my gosh. You you talk about solidifying your role as a captain of the hockey club? I mean, th- th- this, is, this is so much fun to watch these guys. Look at that. Now, these are grown men. You know, they, this is not peewee hockey. These are grown men. Look at them coming across. Uh, watch Rantanen. He, he, you talk about jumping on the pile. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is he's 6'4", yeah, 225. I know. You know, Lance Cock, you're not dropping a little feather there. I was going to say, Lance Cock, wrapping yeah, what a moment that was. I, w- I was fortunate enough to be in the building as a season ticket holder, and that game was just, like, hard to watch at times. It's tough when you're a fan and you're locked in and you know how much is at stake. It's like almost like one of those like car wreck kind of situations where you can't look away, but it's like painful to watch at times. Uh, that being said, the happiness that followed after Landeskog sunk that empty netter, uh, it's a feeling that I, I can't really replace. It's an experience that I uh, am really, really grateful to have uh, gone through. I can only imagine being a player and and what that what that would have meant uh, to go through such a grueling uh, season beforehand where they were just absolutely awful and to kind of scratch and claw their way back the season after um, with some controversy involving Matt Duchesne. It was just kind of like one of those like monkey off your back moments. And, and in sports, there's a ton of moments, monkey off your back moments. I mean, for the Avalanche, an easy one to recall is Raymond Bork winning the Stanley Cup in 2001, finally. I mean, what a monkey off the back moment, I think, for the Colorado Avalanche. Because, you know, the season before being the worst season in Avalanche history wasn't, to me, it wasn't really in, uh, indicative of the Avalanche's talent um, I think there was too much talent on that team for them to be performing the way they were. It turns out we were right. I think I'm not the only one that had that opinion. And once things kind of got cleaned up, once the locker room was a little bit more solidified and galvanized, um, we started to see a level of play that they haven't really gone back from, 
which is why this moment is my number three moment. There are tons of great moments throughout, you know, the the glory days. I could have easily put another glory day moment here, but I just think that this was the 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 precise moment where the avalanche believed in themselves um, more more than anyone needed to believe in them. If that makes any sense, for a long time, this young core, it was almost like. They were waiting for people to confirm their ability rather than uh, kind of taking the the bull by the horns and doing so themselves. And Landeskog making that empty netter, if it was anybody else, it, I don't think it would have the weight that it has. But it was the captain who, at the time he was named captain, was the youngest captain ever in the NHL. People threw up red flags left and right. And after the worst year in franchise history... And you're the captain during that worst year in franchise history. It's more on your shoulders than anyone else's to make sure that your team responds adequately. And he did take the bull by the horns. And that team definitely flipped a switch. And you saw that um, in their in their series with Nashville. We then got the guts all over the place game. So, And then here we are now and the Avalanche are true contenders. And that's why this is my... Number three, greatest moment in Avalanche history. So there's number three. And now, as I spoke to a little bit earlier, there are so many great memories to choose from um, in the glory days being between uh, 96 and the 2001 Stanley Cup runs. So I'm just going to go with uh, my number two is Peter Forsberg scoring a pure hat trick in game two of the 1996 Stanley Cup playoffs. Mind you, I was two and some months old when this happened, so this probably would have been number one, but I wasn't alive to witness it, so there's kind of not as there's not a memory to to associate it with. Uh, I'm sure on other lists, other people's lists, this is this is the number one highlight. And down the ice in a hurry here in this game, but not a lot of chances. The Avalanche have had one shot, that's the only shot of the game. Denmark's cutting the puck, score! Forsberg will be credited with the goal! It went off the back of Van Beesbrook! You know what? Peter Forsberg got his own rebound. What a great second effort. Forsberg comes back up top. They get it set up here. Brought back for Sackick, who's now up high. In the middle, Detmar setting the screen. Near side, Forsberg, shot, and score! Oh, is he red hot? Now that's a power play. Talk about puck movement. Tied up over there, Carter put a hit on Sackick, the shot. Deflected wide by Forsberg. what you're going to see and I know we're going to get a good look at it. Peter Forsberg just scored an incredible goal. There is nothing John Van Beesbrook could do about this one and if you didn't see it when it happened you'll know what I'm talking about when you see it on the replay. Watch this off the glass now watch it on the top of the net to the front and then a smash line drive by Peter Forsberg into the top right corner of the net. <laughs> the thing about this hat trick was like they were not simple goals and they weren't all they also weren't like common goals. The first one came when uh, he, he was uh, P- 
Peter Forsberg was behind the net. He was trying to dish it out in front to Adam Deadmarsh. And in the process, it glances off a Florida defender's skate, and it kind of bounces back towards Forsberg. So then he pokes the puck, and he almost poke checks it into the net. And it's 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 a little bit reminiscent of the, the Forsberg move because he does the poke with one hand, and he's pretty much all the way around the net by the time he gets his stick on it. So, I mean, at first glance, it kind of looks like a greasy, a non-skill goal. But when you really look at the replay, you can see that it took a lot of poise and a lot of uh, just wherewithal to still go after the puck, still go after his own rebound with one hand when his body wasn't really in position to do so. Um, and then, you know, on the on the second goal, there the Avalanche had to have made like four passes in four seconds. And, and uh, it starts with a Peter Forsberg pass that goes right between a Florida Panther leg. So it goes Forsberg... Uh, I think it was Forsberg, Deadmarsh, Sackick, Sackick, Deadmarsh, back to Forsberg, Forsberg scores. It was a beautiful power play, and it had a lot of the same feel and look of of what the Avalanche power play is like now. I mean, Rantanen to Makar, Makar to McKinnon, McKinnon, Makar, Makar back to Rantanen, one-timer goal. So it's it's funny to me. I, I see a lot of similarities in the history of the Avalanche and their playing style now, which I, I, I think... That's something that Sackick had in mind. I'm sure he knows and 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 knew when he came into the GM role that the league had changed dramatically, like in terms of play style. Like when he played, it was a clutch and grab era. And Forsberg was the king of it. Now it's a little bit more of a speed skill game. But those little little pieces and parts of their uh, the players on the Avalanche squad now, their game, like Rantanen's got that wicked one-timer. Uh, on the power play same with McKinnon they both set up but McKinnon's got that ridiculous snapshot very similar to how Sackick was dangerous on the power play um so yeah there's a lot of to me there's a lot of lineage between um this group that the Avalanche have now and the groups that have previously won in the past so that's a good that's a good definitely a good thing and then uh lastly of course the goal for Forsberg that went off the boards off the top of the net and he bats it out of the air to have the coordination to bat it out of the air into the top corner is one thing but to to have the patience and and the wherewithal to watch the puck do what it does and then let it just he it pretty much landed in his lap for him to, to to put home there's definitely a lot of luck that goes into that but there's also a ton of skill and a ton of awareness that you need in order to just be in the right place like he could have just turned and hightailed it back to his own end or you know found himself into the corner in the corner again but just goes to show uh the the best thing about peter forsberg to me was he always played with such a natural ability and you could tell that everything that he did well just kind of came naturally at first and then he honed in on it because all the stuff all the amazing goals he had he did it in a way that felt almost effortless and i think that comes with like pure raw talent and he had it like no one else, honestly, has had it or will have it for a while in the NHL. So that's my number two favorite moment in Avalanche history. Um, that one is kind of around a great performance from Peter Forsberg. My number one moment is one surrounded uh, kind of about Joe Sackick. And it is the also famous fakes it, takes it, scores goal. 
uh, in 2001 in Game 7 against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, and as you all know, the Avalanche would go on to win and win their second Stanley Cup. Tangay looking for a hat trick. Dished it off. Shot deflected to the near side. Fine set up by Tangay to Hayduke on the power play. Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! Power play goal! Three to nothing, Colorado! What a shot. Rayport was sneaking in from behind and he throws a bunch of people. Scott Stevens went for the first fake, tried to block. Look where Marty Brodeur is. He's in the middle of his net. There is tons of room, short side high. Yeah, Patrick Wasweiss says, yeah, baby. And Melanie Brodeur has the barrier. So when this, uh, this goal happened, I was like 10 years old and I was full-fledged completely 100% committed to the Colorado Avalanche. And I think what did it was like the the Red Wings Avalanche rivalry, rivalry, excuse me. And just kind of it sucked me in and I I've never I've never been spit out. <laughs> uh this moment was so cool cuz I remember where I was when it happened. Um I'm sitting in my uncle's living room. We were watching this game on one of the first ever big screen TVs. It looked like it looked like more like a refrigerator than the TVs do now. Um, and we were just running around. I think when Sackick scored this goal, I, 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 in my mind and in my family's mind, there was nothing that was going to keep the Avalanche from, from winning their second Stanley Cup. And we were going to get that famous Ray Bork moment in due time. And the thing about this play is it was just an absolute snipe. And it, again, like I said about Forsberg, the way Sackick pulls it off, it just seems so natural to him. And that's because it was playing on probably his biggest strength, which was that wicked snapshot wrister. Um, that's like the ultimate manifestation of Joe Sackick's ability and danger when he's on the offensive end. And and it honestly gives me, gives me a little bit, gives me chills to this day. But what really gives me chills is I watch that replay now today and it looks like a play, uh, like a McKinnon highlight. To me, that that is a McKinnon-esque play. Now, we haven't seen McKinnon do something like that in a game like Game 7 of the Stanley Cup playoffs, but I think if you give it time and if you give him that opportunity, that's exactly the kind of play that Nathan McKinnon can make within a Stanley Cup series. They both have that uncanny snapshot wrister that can kind of catch people off guard. I was watching um, a little bit more of the documentary on this particular Stanley Cup series in 2001 against the Devils. And uh, one of the Devils defenders said, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen Sackick just skate in past the blue line and rip a wrister from right just past the blue line past the goalie. And that comes from, you know, not setting up, not making it, obvious to the goalie that you're about to shoot the dude could just be skating and then all of a sudden the puck is headed your way and that's the same thing if you if you think about the shot that McKinnon had on Mike Smith last year in the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, I think it was game three in overtime game two in overtime it had to have been game game two because it was in Calgary but he snipe he absolutely skates right by the defense Rantanen sets him up with an awesome pass right in right into the seam um and McKinnon takes maybe three strides 
and takes a snapshot wrist or goes high high glove on Mike Smith and he never had a chance. The dude, Mike, keep in mind, Smith basically had been keeping Calgary in that game all night long. And McKinnon said, all right, fine, this, enough is enough. Let's put this thing away. And that's, I think, the same mindset Joe Sackick had in this moment. He was thinking, all right, we're on the power play. We're up to nothing. Enough's enough. Marty Brodeur, this is not your night. Legendary goalie, but tonight it's not your night. And I think once that happened, that was obvious to Joe and the rest of the team and to the fans. And so that's why that's why that's my number one moment. It's the Stanley Cup I remember being raised. I, I have vivid memories of celebrating with my family. And so I think obviously that one that one strikes a chord for me. So I, uh, if you guys agree with my top three, let me know. Uh, and if you don't, uh, send me your top three. You can send that to me. Uh, we're on Twitter, and that's at, at ElevationPod. Uh, and you can also tweet at Mile High Hockey, or you can just tweet me directly, and I'm at San Canelo Gringo. Um, but yeah, just let me know what you think of my top three. If you have anything else you want to mention or you want to tell me where you were when some of these moments happened, um, feel free. It, I, I just kind of wanted to share with you the things that really uh, s- sunk me into my fandom of the Avalanche. And these were my top three moments. So now let's get into on this day in Avalanche history. Today is Tuesday, May 19. And on May 19 of the year 1996, the Colorado Avalanche would meet the Red Wings in Game 1 of the Western Conference Final. Now, this was a cool series. We all know how it ends. Um, This kind of started the rivalry between the Colorado Avalanche, at least started the competition. Um, Maybe not the bad blood quite yet. But I'll just walk you through through this game, and we'll kind of go through the the highlights of it. Um, the game started and Detroit uh, definitely got off to a good start and off to an early lead. We'll give it back to him. Now he centers it. Gets it again. Eiserman back to the line. The shot. One nothing Detroit. So the Detroit Red Wings get off to a, a good, uh, good start early. They uh, lead the Avalanche one to nothing, and this is kind of when the when the game starts to ratchet up in terms of intensity, just a little bit. You start to see bodies flying around, and when you're seeing bodies fly around, you can pretty much guarantee that Peter Forsberg is going to be one of those bodies. Kinov is after it, picks him up, keeps going, and then he was nailed. There's going to be another penalty against Colorado. Uh, the def- the hit definitely warranted a penalty. It was a little bit high, and by a little bit, I mean a lot of it. <laughs> uh, and I do think that uh, Constantino did feel f- the wrath of that for a little bit. I know he kind of missed a little more of the game later on. But fortunately for the Avs and fortunately for Peter Forsberg, that didn't have the adverse effects that usually a penalty would, and... Uh, the Red Wings make a mistake, and here's what happens. Broken up, cleared by Gusarov. They come into on one. Yell, great move. Oh, they scored. Coffee knocked it in his own net. 
So Coffee knocks it in his own net on a play where I think that was pretty much created by Stefan Yell pushing the play. He, he drives into the corner, tries to make a centering pass. Coffee tries to clear the puck from the crease, basically knocks it into his own net. So that's a little bit unfortunate for the Detroit Red Wings, but uh, kind of changes and turns the tide for the Colorado Avalanche as it's now 1-1. One to one. Uh, and lo and behold, a little bit later, Sackick finds himself in space. He shoots. The rebound goes up in the air, and Adam Marsh does the rest. Shot pulls down in front. They think it's in. The red light is on. It's a goal. And Detroit will argue that. It bounced high, came down in the crease. Nobody could see it from this side of the Joe Lewis Arena, but the red light came on. This is the end evidently that convinced that the dead marsh 18 the puck did hit him they've given him the goal yeah that was a, a a smart play by adam deadmarsh who saw the puck kind of floating up in the air off the rebound from the sackic shot and just crashed the net got a little piece of it with his stick and he got hockey luck bounced off a couple of defenders and found its way into the back of the net unfortunately the red wings would respond So the game is tied at two, and things start to get a little bit more chippy, uh, and you see a net front battle between Peter Forsberg and Keith Premue that ends with Premue taking a hack at Forsberg's leg. The stick breaks, which is uh, makes things pretty easy for the ref. He calls a penalty, and the Avs are now in a power play. Was going to the bench, and I believe there's going to be a penalty to Detroit, and the fans here are not going to like that. Yeah, the fans at Joe Lewis Arena did not like that call, although it was the right one. Um, and eventually, the Avs would get the W in a three to two overtime win, and the third goal will come from a nice feed, nice feed from Richie, who found Keen, who snaps one past Osgood. And you can actually hear the Avs head coach let out an expletive in a joyous celebration. He says, FNA, baby, as he heads to the locker room. Out to Ricci, circles through center ice. Ricci put it ahead. Score! Keith! A quick shot from inside the line. And the Colorado Avalanche take the first game. Keith scoring at 17-31. Not the first overtime. And at that point, uh, like the Avs were underdogs because the Red Wings were on quite a tear. They, I think they were looking to win their second straight Stanley Cup or their third straight. I think it was two. Um, and that was kind of a statement game. The Avs went into Joe Louis Arena in game one and stole the game in overtime. And now they have home, home ice advantage. And lo and behold, they end up winning in six games. And the Avs go on to win the Stanley Cup. So that was on this day in Avalanche history. Uh, so May 19 is a cool day for the Avs. So remember that uh, if next year we get to play again on a day near May 19. So that was uh, on this day. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about go things going forward and who might uh, be the Avs' new rival because obviously in the old glory days, the rival was the Detroit Red Wings. Um and then maybe a little bit the Vancouver Canucks. So who's that for you folks now? Feel free to tweet me and Mile High Hockey and just let me know who you see uh, the Avs forming a, a rivalry with. Maybe it won't rival <laughs> that of the 
Avs and Red Wings rivalry. But we're definitely going to, as the Avs play more meaningful hockey, they will start to uh, garner a little bit more negative uh, attention from other fan bases and from other teams. Like To me, I think the easiest one would be St. Louis. Um, Like I mentioned at the beginning of this, you know, the Avs were getting ready and the Avs in St. Louis were getting ready to potentially play for the Central Division title in Game 82 of the regular season. Basically, you would play a game for the title, for your division title, and then go first round of the playoffs with the number one seed. Uh, The Avalanche know and their goal at the beginning of the season was to get at least home ice advantage in the playoffs. But nothing better than number one in, you know, in that situation. If you have home ice advantage of the number one seed, you have home ice advantage throughout the tournament. So that was the ultimate goal. And it was lining up to make uh, quite the story. Uh, I think a couple of our riders were kind of building up and kind of showing the way that this this could potentially happen. There was, I think, eight games left, something like that. And the Avs were very close to the Blues, very much so a possibility for them to have done done that and played for the Central Division title in the last game of the year. I think we were kind of robbed, like I mentioned earlier, of our next great rivalry just because the playoffs haven't happened yet, and that's where those rivalries are forged. Um, it could have been Dallas if we caught Dallas early. Um, to me, though, it's always it, it's about them later rounds, right? So if the Avs and St. Louis play for the Central Division Cup, one of them's going to lose. So, you know, they have to play the first round against a different opponent. Second round is a little bit more meaningful. The Avs could have met them there um, or in the in the Western Conference final. Same sort of situation that those games mean a little bit more. So that's how those rivalries beget, become forged in those games that mean more. Uh, Teams tend to play a little bit more emotional, and when there's more emotion, there's a little bit more controversy. I think that's that's the name of the game just in life, where there's more emotion, there's more controversy. Uh, but in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, there is much more emotion than there is in the regular season, obviously. That's why we tune in to watch it. That's why we're so bummed right now, because we don't get to watch it. But in the meantime, we can talk about what can happen what may happen, and what did happen. So that's kind of what I'm going to do over the next few months or weeks, depending on how the, how, the, how long this lasts. I'm going to go through my On This Day in Avalanche history. I'm going to kind of just talk about the past and how maybe the Avalanche came about and what got them into the, into the position they are right now. I hope you guys can withstand that content. I know most of you know just as much as I do, but it may, it may prove entertaining to kind of get my perspective on it. And if I say something completely outlandish or wrong, please let me know because I don't like being wrong, um, especially not with this kind of platform. So shout me out. I, again, I'm on Twitter, at San Canelo Gringo. Um, you can also tweet us at, at Mile High Hockey, or you can tweet the podcast. That's at, at Elevation Pod. If you enjoyed today's show, please, please subscribe uh, and set yourself up so that you can get future content um, and timely content. So thank you folks so much for listening. Uh, My name is Adrian Hernandez, and this has been At Elevation, a podcast brought to you by Mile High Hockey.